Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Murphy stepped back, kicked to Couture, straight on three. He's still hot. Wow, what a shot. Batter and dribbles left. Bernard steps out of the help. Here's Larson down to Coloco. Right block. Powers up and champs it in. Christian Coloco with the right hand hammer. Grace at the three-point line. Drives on Menenka. Bowls his way to the basket. He puts it in. And he's fouled. Matt Grace with the hoop to tie the game. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield. ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Monday. Cofield and Company, Willie, Cofield, Ari in the Finley Toyota Studios. Busy, busy day on the way uh, coming out of the weekend with uh, the brackets. TB12 shocks a lot of people. We could have massive Raiders news today. Free agency opens up in the National Football League in a couple of days. No one got the memo because news is coming out uh, minute by minute. So all of that to get to. Uh, we'll reserve uh, five minutes at the end of the show for uh, a little bit of baseball as well. This is, think about what's going on right now. Because baseball pushed back, right? Yep. Now their entire offseason, months of an offseason, is crunched into like Three weeks. Yep. We've got NFL free agency breaking left and right. And we got the brackets, which is that was completely crazy yesterday and all all amped up as we got the whole thing starting up actually tomorrow with the playing game. So uh like I said, busy Monday on the way. Let's get to it. It's trending at three. Presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at eight seven 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 hundred Nova. Willie, are we gonna find out if the uh, Raiders make a gigantic splash? Because they seem to be going, at least talking to, one of the biggest free agents available in the National Football League, and that is defensive back J.C. Jackson. We've seen a lot of scuttlebutt about the Chargers being involved, so this could be could be a head-to-head battle between division rivals, and you know the Chargers already kind of twisted the knife a bit, turned the screws on the Raiders by bringing Khalil Mack back into the division. This is going to be interesting to see what unfolds here the next. I'm guessing we're going to find out in the next 48 hours where one of the top five free agents is going to land. Yeah, and within the last hour, we've seen a tweet from uh, Schefter and Ian Rappaport that the Chargers are expected to sign J.C. Jackson, five years, $82.5 million. So if they're going to battle back and forth, they're going to have to dig deep um, into their pockets and match that. It just depends on where he wants to go. I guess if 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 he's if he's that coveted, and he's going to start controlling the negotiations. But right now, based on uh, Rappaport and Schefter, it looks like the Chargers are in the lead to grab him. So, but well, yeah. I don't think it's the lead. I mean, it just came down right a little while ago. Yeah, it came down within the last hour, and it, and it's you don't this, believe you don't believe Schefter's report. No, I'm not saying that I don't believe it. That's it. It's but, done. Damn. All right. All right. Could be over. Five-year, $82 million Just nothing deal. shocks me. That's all. Is what I'm saying is nothing shocks me. I mean, uh, some last-minute deal could come in. But, yeah, I mean, according to these guys, it's wrapped up. But who well, knows? That's interesting. A lot of people are starting to speculate north of $1 million a year. Five years, $82 million. Chargers, according to Schefter, win the battle. $40 million guaranteed. Should the Raiders have upped that deal? Should they have beaten that number? 
I, I think that there are viable candidates out there that they're that that they're probably going to go after, and they're they're not looking to get in too big of a piss and match, if you will. Um, so I think I, th- I think that they if they didn't challenge back, they have their eyes set on on at least a decent list that they can go after, which I know we're going to touch on at some point later in the show. But uh, as far as a list is concerned. But yeah, I mean they 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 definitely have to shore things up, and because it doesn't look as if Casey Hayward's coming back, doesn't look like he's a Gus Bradley guy. We know that, so I, I can't imagine that he's coming back. I, I don't think that they're set on the fact that Jonathan Abram is their is their guy. It's a secondary that's definitely going to take a massive hit without the leadership of Casey Hayward. So they got to bring somebody in. They have to bring in to solidify that secondary. Damn, stunning. Yeah, backed up by Rappaport as well. Five years. Uh, he says 85, $28 million for J.C. Jackson in year one. $40 million over the first two years. So the Raiders get beat out for J.C. Jackson. And we'll track uh, some of the other news that's coming in. Just saw... Oh, this stuff is coming fast and furious. Just saw um, Michael Gallup. So that's becoming official. Interesting. Yeah, five years, $62.5 million for Michael Gallup. No one's coming cheap. So all those receivers as well, we'll get to that. Because that was, that was crazy today as it looks like Christian Kirk is landing with the Jaguars to the tune of $84 million, and he ain't, he ain't the best candidate out there uh, at wide receiver. So there's guys, I think, who are better than him, older, and Allen Robinson – but what's he going to cost? And then obviously what happens with Devontae Adams if – and he should not play for a franchise tag. He's an idiot if he plays on a one-year deal. And can I just throw this in here? Just I mean, Las Vegas for the second year in a row should be getting their eyes wide open to the fact that we are on the day after the bracket has been announced, a couple of days out. The Lady Rebels are in the tournament. The NBA is in – the home stretch. The Golden Knights are in big trouble. We have massive, but what realistically is headlining? What are the Raiders going to do? The NFL has this league. I mean, this is you're learning in Las Vegas now, two years in a row, that yeah, they've done it. a fantastic job. The league has, and 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 one of the local reporters and I, Dave Shane, with the who covers the Golden Knights, we were talking about this this morning. The NFL has sort of set the standard and shown you how they will stay in your news cycle. 12 months in a year because this is what's headlining right now is the free agency news. And thanks Tom Brady yesterday, right? <laughs> I mean, yep. so it's uh, it's just wild with everything that's going on right now. And we're in the offseason. The NFL is at the forefront. So Lady Rebels did make the tournament. We know that last week they got the seed and the uh, the day and the opponents. So they're going to take on Arizona this Saturday. They're a 13 seed. Arizona is a four seed. It's in Tucson. Yeah, and it's going to be a fantastic matchup. A lot of people are going, well, it was nice, you know, they got in, but wow, they got to play Arizona. And Arizona is getting the key component back, Katie Reese, who missed a lot of the season. So, um, But this was, a, this was a matchup that was projected a couple of weeks ago. I know I tweeted it out, and I can't remember who it was who did the bracketology for the women. I can't even think back to who that was, but I tweeted it out a couple weeks ago. This was what was projected 
The Lady Rebels won the tournament. This is who they were going to go. And I had said, huge, huge, even though it's in Tucson, even though, even though it's happened in Kale Center, for several reasons, the storylines are tremendous. The border, as far you saw the turnout. You were there yesterday, Steve. The support that they're going to have, the fans that will go down there. I think that you're going to see running Rebel fans even go down there and back. Lindy LaRock um, in her second year as coach, but she is well familiar with Adia Barnes and what that what she's done in coaching. I mean, even as an assistant up at Washington and then now at Arizona, um, Lindy's time at Stanford as a player and then as a coach, it's not as if she's going in and going to be overwhelmed. When she said yesterday, which I know they think we have a sound at some point, but I know that she said that we're going to have a game plan. What she means, what she means, is not just UNLV, but how to play against an Arizona team because she knows that system. The men don't make a tournament; they miss out on the NIT. Utah State goes from the conference instead. Utah State beat UNLV heads up. UNLV had a much better final month than Utah State. Utah State finished eight and ten in conference. UNLV was ten and eight. Their uh, overall record was virtually identical, but Utah State. Had a, a much higher net yeah. at 60, and the Rebels checked in at 94. So we'll talk a little Rebels later on, and if missing out on the NIT actually means something. All right, the brackets are out. Did you have some big issues? Uh, you know, I, not as crazy as a lot of the people did. The first thing that stood out to me, obviously, after covering some of the Mountain West Conference tournament, I didn't get out there all the days. I watched some of it from home, but I was there for the final two days. It just surprised me when I saw Colorado State as the first team named, and it got a six seed, and then Boise State checking in at eight. You know, just the way it was. Now, the one thing I will say is Boise State is staying close to home. Yeah, you know, and and well, they're staying close to home, but second round game could be it could be Gonzaga. against Gonzaga in Portland. So. Yeah, but well, you know, when you're an, when you're an eight, you don't get to pick and choose. I, I will say, based on what I saw and based on season results, uh, Boise deserved to be honored as the best team in the conference. They won the regular season. That's the long haul, and they won the conference tournament, right. which is you know difficult as hell with all the grinder games. They should have been the higher seed. They should have been, and they were the uh, they're one of only five teams. I want to say, I believe I had that in my notes that one of only five teams in the history of the Mountain West Conference that have been able to do both. So, and um, I also said to you, I think I talked to you about this that um, in the tournament. Uh, of all the big players in this conference, and you know there was a real argument for about eight players being yeah. on the first team Mountain West Conference turn, um, first team Mountain West Conference. Um, Bryce Hamilton only got one game, right? But obviously, I got to see Bryce every game this year. I thought most, a lot of the great players in the conference were actually kind of underwhelming in the tournament. And David Roddy actually, by the numbers, had a pretty good game in the semis for yes. Colorado State. Yeah, but I thought he was passive. Like I thought. Hey, with everything on the line, and they had a bid locked up, but with everything on the line, I, I watched a guy in Bryce Hamilton who freaking charged a billion percent through a wall to score when it counted the most, and I didn't see that from Roddy, and Matt Bradley was horrific. Uh, some other guys just got shut down. The Wyoming guys got limited again uh, in Maldonado and Ike. Uh, so I, I think Roddy is probably the is the most marketable guy from the conference, and, and, and make no mistake about it, they can talk about blind resumes, when they put this thing together, I also think they have TV matchups in mind. I also think that's why the play-in games played out the way they did. Yeah, no, no, no. They they obviously know what they're doing when they're lining these teams up. They so see maybe they looked at Roddy as the most attractive guy to yeah. have him as a higher seed. But I mean, it, it, it is being an eight or a nine is a screw job versus being a six. I agree, and I and I it, I think that they they're hoping that they got a good matchup for Boise. 
with with its defense and being able to play Memphis because they want the storyline of Leon Rice against Mark Few. You know, so Leon I Rice mean, from a longtime co- assistant at Boise, right? So from a coach, I'm sorry, Ed, uh, Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Yep. For, so from a coaching standpoint, there's marketing there too. Um, as far as Roddy's concerned, I agree with you. I mean, he, you know, this is a guy Player of the Year, correct? Regular season, yeah, player so, of the year. That was the whole argument. Like, so, who should have been the player of the year? Right, and I don't know if he showed us player of the year caliber. Like you said, the semis, which I was there for. I mean, yes, but he was very underwhelming for the most part. Um, and and I thought that you saw it. it get, the turn of this Mountain West, this particular Mountain West tournament, gave us a chance to see who's going to step up for each team when the stars don't. Because as you said, those key players for those teams were a bit underwhelming. So who was able to step up at the right time and make those big shots? And as we saw at the end of the game, you know, with with Boise State, they were trailing by one and two points respectively in the regular season against San Diego State, came down and won, won at the last second, won in the in the waning moments. And San Diego State had a chance to do that in the championship. Bradley missed, Pulliam missed, and they didn't they they could have the roles were reversed. And they could have pulled that up, but didn't because their key guys didn't land shots. And Bradley took accountability. I will give it to him. He came. He said, you know, yeah, we both had open looks. We both had good looks, but that's on me. I should have made my shot, bottom line. So kudos to him, I mean, for taking accountability for the entire, that final 28.9 seconds. But the bottom line is we didn't see those key pig- figures in the um, Mountain West Conference step up to their roles in which they supposedly, the hype that they were given. Um, we saw other players throughout the tournament, throughout games, in the semis, in the championship, um, you know, lend to the success to get to the finals. Our bracket contest, March Mania Bracket Challenge, totally free to get in, $1,500 in uh, value on the grand prize, lvsportsnetwork.com, lvsportsnetwork.com. Get in before Thursday. It's brought to you by Finley Honda. The Castro Verde Law Group, iHeart Mac and Cheese, and Sahara Las Vegas Grand Prize includes a staycation at the Sahara. Free meals for a year provided by iHeart uh, Mac and Cheese. Two tickets to an upcoming Golden Knights game, plus a VGK player signed uh, jersey and cash is thrown in there. It's free, right? Why not get in, compete against the uh, LV Sports Network host? We'll be in it as well. March Mania Bracket Challenge. Sign up now, lvsportsnetwork.com. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's not Zags, Kentucky, Iowa, and Arizona. Yeah, you know, Gonzaga, obviously, can they finish it? There's not a bailer in this tournament that can dominate in the backcourt, but there is an Arizona. Kentucky's explosive in transition can be a little inconsistent. Iowa, obviously, is dangerous, but this Arizona team, they score easy baskets in transition, off the bounce. They defend you. They protect the rim. Arizona cuts down the net. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. NFL free agency rolling out. No J.C. Jackson to the Raiders. He stays, actually comes to the division. My God, the AFC West loading up. Chargers already got Khalil Mack, and now they get the best free agent defensive back on the market. Somewhere in the 82 to $85 million range. Very front-loaded. Raiders do not win on J.C. Jackson. That's the biggest story of the day in the National Football League yesterday. TB12 announces he's coming back. It's all coming up, but we were just talking about the brackets and kind of the oddities of the Mountain West Conference tournament with the best team in the conference. I mean, they proved it during the season and also in the conference tournament, and uh, Boise somehow gets an eight, and Colorado State gets a six, so Colorado State should be freaking thrilled. 
about that one. How significant, Willie, was it that the Mountain West got four, Pac-12 only three, West Coast Conference three? I think it's it's an eye-opener for you. Um, the, I, not so much the West Coast Conference, because who who's the team that got left out? BYU. So I'm not sure. Well, that, Santa Clara and BYU were trending up until the last couple of weeks, but everyone just started beating up on each other. No, there was no there was right. no fourth team unless someone stole a bid. Right, and I and it's the Pac-12 that's that's kind of an eye opener in the fact that it it tells you that in those net rankings in the Ken Palm in the, in the metrics that the selection committee looked at in the non-conference slate, because you know you're if you and if I guess it within conference because you're beaten up on one another the top those four teams that made it and even the five and six so that would include Utah State UNLV based on who they played. And the fact that those top six teams are beaten up on one another and they're taking that in consideration, um, I think it speaks volumes in what the Mountain West Conference did and and how the selection committee looked at the conference based on the fact that it was just a couple of years ago when we were talking about it's a win-and-in conference. Well, maybe they get a second team in. right? This, this conference went from being really, really good in terms of where it's at right now, four, you know, three, four teams in, back when UNLV was a consideration, to slowly declining to, okay, well, maybe just the tournament champion's going to get in, to now back to four teams in versus a Pac-12 conference that only got three in. So I think it speaks volumes, and I think it's a sign of, of where the conference could be on an uptick because, and I think you and I talked about this semifinal night, is... This conference is going to be, if if not as good, better next year because of whoever's brought in. Because a lot of talent's coming back. Yeah, it's a league. I think it did really well this year because of all the people who came back with the COVID year, and there were a lot of veterans. And most of those teams have everyone back, so it's going to be incredibly difficult next year. But here's the thing on the NCAA's, uh, and I kept hearing coach after coach after coach, and this is their job is to pump up their own conference, and they're like, "Hey, the conference is as good as it was back at the peak in uh, you know 2013 when we got five in." No, it's not. Not until you get wins in the NCAA tournament. None of this. I mean, this means something. The regular season earned four teams from the conference a spot in the NCAA tournament. What is the narrative going to be if all four dump out after after one game? Well, yeah, and, games too. And, and there's going to be people that point their fingers. Say, See, but the only team that I'm really hearing the majority of the people that are saying the two biggest things that I've heard in the last. What are we at? 24 hours now? Yes, because it's 326. So 24 hours ago, we we pretty much learned what the bracket was. Uh, is Duke being seeded higher than Tennessee and Texas A&M being snubbed? I haven't heard anything about any Pac-12 teams being snubbed. So I don't know how much it's, if anybody's arguing. Well, there, if, there wasn't a team from the Pac-12 that could get snubbed because Oregon fell apart and their net was way the hell down in the 70s and 80s. But what I'm saying is all of this buildup with the Mountain West Conference means zero if they go 1-3 and three in the first round or 0-4. Oh all right, quick timeout. We'll come back, reset things. we got uh, Debbie Antonelli coming up towards the end of the hour. She'll uh, be working one of the regionals on the men's side, working the women's as well. The crew over at Finley Toyota speak Spanish, Thai, and even Persian. In fact, they speak 14 different languages. Come in and talk the universal language of big savings today. 17 seconds to go. Sent up the wall. Blue Jackets get it. And a clear path to the open net. Robinson scores. Empty net goal. Blue Jackets 
seal it. Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Wow. If uh, this is rock bottom, <laughs> it's been pretty bad. I hope it's rock bottom. Willie, I hope it doesn't get worse than this. Dan Duva on the call. And the Knights continue to lose, and in some cases lose to to bad teams along the way. But this has just been dreadful since the beginning of February. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not good. And and it, the narrative of missing players is getting old for the simple fact that there are still decent players, and it's the continuity that that's missing. I get that, but you know, here and there they've had even when they've had players return, um, it it they just don't look in any way, shape, or form fluid. They they look bad. They look like a bad team. Like in the past, when they've dealt with injuries, they look like they're dealing with it well. They look like they're playing good hockey. Like they don't even look like they're playing good hockey for the most part. It's it's really turned into a you know a mess. And I I don't know if if Peter DeBoer is at, is at the point where he's not sure which what to do because you know I think he's tried as much as he could. I mean since the turn of the ca- of, of the of the calendar, you know, and here and here was a time where you were thinking and we were asking people like Alex Petrangelo, who captained the St. Louis Blues team that was at the bottom of the NHL, and he and and at the turn of the calendar they switched goaltenders, they stepped it up, and they went on a run and they won the Stanley Cup. And so he had seen it before. He has seen a turnaround midseason. This team has taken a turn for the worse, and as injuries mount, I get it, but I. I, t- I have to wonder, in the way that we're seeing step on the ice, what's taking place behind the scenes? This has always been, since year one, a team that has been built on the locker room chemistry. Gerard Gallant emphasized this, hey, that locker room is theirs. What they do, what they talk about, that's their locker room. They were always in sync with one another, on and off the ice. And... A lot of new faces, and you have the young guys coming up. You have, it's, it doesn't appear to be a team that is in sync with one another. And I, I again, I have to wonder outside the misfit line. I mean, who knows one another? And and and, and now the headlines, everything surrounding Jack Eichel, the return to Buffalo, uh, the press conference that he held. He it took a minute for him to get out there at the end. Um, not sure what the situation was there. He was very snarky, but he, he came out and he spoke. And I just have to wonder again if if there's some things taking place behind the scenes in the locker room, what's going on. You know, trade deadline's still coming up. Are some of the guys wondering, worried? This is a team that's always made a, sla- a splash at the deadline. So what are they thinking? You're missing top defensemen. You're missing your top forwards. They need to do something. I mean, forget about... Forget about winning the cup. Are they going to make the playoffs? You know what I'm saying? Forget about uh, what they're going to do to, I mean, whose heads are going to roll? If they don't make the playoffs, someone's going to be, someone's is going to be calling for either Peter DeBoer, Kelly McCrimmon, George McPhee, or all three's head. And I'm not sure who You don't believe all three. No. I don't don't believe any of them. I don't believe any of them. But I'm just saying, if they don't make the playoffs, here's the thing. If you are, 
if you got rid of the coach that took you to the Stanley Cup final and you said, well, we just need to go in a different direction, and you brought in a coach who's taken other teams to the Stanley Cup final in the first year and being with those teams, that being the Devils, that being the San Jose Sharks, you've coached successful teams, you've had some big monumental wins, as he said. If you're that good of a coach, shouldn't you be able to figure things out and blend that talent? Those questions have to be asked. I'm not going to question them because I'm not an NHL coach, and I certainly can't do it. But I'm just saying those questions will linger if, you know, okay, yeah, but you have to play the hand that you're dealt. And that's what he said continually. No excuses. I will say that there was one comment that he made, and I'm not sure when it was, if it was pregame, postgame, but he said, I was a little stunned when he said this, but it came out of Peter DeBoer's mouth. He did say in the last couple of days, there's a lot of hockey to be played. No, there's not a lot of hockey to be played. As I mentioned earlier, I was talking to Dave Shane. I was like, hey, dude, how many home games are left? I think there's like nine or ten games left. Nine games. There's 32 home games been played. So there's 41. There's only nine home games left. And they're not winning at home. There's not a lot of games left, Pete. So I'd love to sit here and speak intelligently about what they should do. Because obviously the other question is, is Leonard good to go or not? What's the deal here? Do they need a number one goalie? But... The NHL is shrouded in so much secrecy with the injuries. I don't know. I have no idea when the other guys are coming back. They know. They know if if they believe that the dudes who have been hurt, aside from Leonard, are coming back and will be available for a stretch run, then you have to trade for a one, right, at goalie? You have not been on board with this. Candy finally jumped on with me last week. Adam Hill is a tried-and-true uh, Robin Leonard defender, so he's never going to get off that ship. So where are you now? I mean, he's hurt again. Well, I've never said that they don't go trade for a number one. It's just I had said Leonard was coming back because I had said before the whole thing with what was wrong with him, and I had told you, you asked me, what was going on, Willie? If you know, then you got – and I said, he's going to get – he's going to be back. He's going to get a shot in that arm. That arm is injured. Him being snarky about Dr. Cerevelli, that, uh, uh, that assessment was true. The only part that he tried to call him out on was that he didn't need surgery or he wasn't going to have surgery. No, but he will in the offseason need some work or need to have that shoulder looked at. He had a shot, according to my sources, in that shoulder, so it makes it better. Hopefully those cortisone shots work because i got to get one tomorrow morning at 8 in the morning in my knee. So the bottom line is... Whatever's now taking place in this guy, which is supposedly a lower body injury, who knows how long it's going to keep him out. So if they have to go out and get somebody, then it, they're the only ones that know. Prior to uh, prior to this house having this conversation was based on the fact that I knew he was coming back. Now all of a sudden he's out. And you have Laurent, uh, Laurent Bressois and Tom as your goaltenders. So do you need a starting goaltender? Uh, you know, that would be great. I think that they both have proven that they can play at a certain level. But what they need, outside of yesterday scoring four goals, they need offense. This was a team that going into yesterday ranked dead last during a losing streak in early February with an average of 2.0 goals per game. It's crazy. And what happens when they return here on Thursday? Fans going to rally to pick them up? What happens we'll, when we'll, they come back? We'll, we'll, we'll see you. how many people show up for that one. Giveaway time right now. Megadeth, Lamb of God, Mick Ultra Arena, April 9th, Mandalay Bay, Caller 7, Megadeth, 364-1100, 364-1100. You can get your own tickets. They're available. 
at the Mandal- uh, Mandalay Bay site. 364-1100 is the number. Caller 7. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Well, it was awesome. We had a great crowd. You know, I'm thinking, well, next year we're going to have to have a bigger room. Um, you know, whether that's in the Thomas and Mac or something. Uh, but, you know, it just, our support has just been, you know, more and more. Every game we play, you know, it just seems like, you know, more people are bringing their friends. Obviously, people are taking notice in town. Um, and we feel that support. We really do. And so I'm, I'm excited for what we're building. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that come to Tucson for us. Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. into the NCAA tournaments, both the uh, men's and the women's. You hear Linda LaRock, the head coach at UNLV, former Stanford player, former Stanford assistant, talking about the support she got yesterday over at the uh, Stripview uh, Pavilion at the Thomas and Mac. Uh, probably 500, 750 people came out for the uh, bracket release party. Very good. Local support. Really good thing for women's basketball. Debbie Antonelli played the game. She calls the games now on both the men's and women's side for uh, ESPN and Westwood One and CBS. And she gives us a couple minutes on Cofield and Company. How are you? Hey, guys. Thank you so much. And, yeah, what a great job Lindy did this year. I covered her as a player. I've watched her as a budding assistant coach under Tara Vandeveer. And I'm so proud to see what she's been able to do at UNLV. Debbie, what's interesting is that while she has been able to bring that winning mentality, she's really established her own identity. It's obviously her tutelage from her dad being a legendary coach here and seeing that, but with Tara. But how have you sort of just witnessed her establish her own brand? I think she's done a great job establishing her voice. She's a tremendous teacher. Obviously, she grew up around the game and Yes, uh, growing up in Vegas and having the background that she had around the game in that fine city of yours, she has um, just absolutely grown into a very mature, up-and-coming young coach that's going to be hard for UNLV to hang on to. Yeah, we're a little worried about that down the road, but <laughs> let's have her make the tournament a couple times, and then I'm sure people are going to come calling at that point. And you know, and and actually, the, it, it is a valid point. The call is out there in terms of community support. Like people have to come out to games, and that's how you keep coaches around. So let's get your overall view on the women's term, tournament going in. What's the biggest narrative of the tournament? Well, I think the number one narrative is the product. I've been saying that all year. I think the product continues to evolve. It gets better. The resources are better around the women's game, and the players are so talented. Every year the tournament gets a little bit better. There's a little bit more coverage. The platform continues to grow, and that's what I'm most excited about is putting the best players that we have in the women's game on display at such a high level. Debbie, I have to ask you, so – and I understand the 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 how good South Carolina has been and and what they were able to do, but I'm just curious that Stanford's the defending champ. They win the Pac-12. They look dominating in doing so. How did South Carolina eke out that top overall seed? I mean, realistically, they're all going to their own region. They're all going to be number one seeds. But I was a little surprised that Stanford didn't get the number one overall seed. 
I think when you look at the full body of work, South Carolina played the most daunting schedule, and that's not dismissing what Stanford went up against. They're certainly their non-conference schedule was tough. Uh, and maybe that loss to South Florida and the Bahamas might have been something that could have kept them from being the, the top number one seed. But South Carolina, uh, they won the regular season in the SEC. They did lose in their conference finals. They've been the overall number one net because of their non-conference schedule. And I'm sure that's probably the reason why the NCAA had them at the overall number one. Debbie, you call both men's and women's games. And how impressive is Iowa on both sides? I mean, these are a pair of programs that could send two teams to each respective Final Four. Well, if you start with Keegan Murray on the men's side, I mean, wow, what an incredible year he's had. I mean, Johnny Davis is such a great player at Wisconsin. It was really hard to see which one of those was going to be the Big Ten player of the year. But, uh, you know, when you have the kind of scoring capability that Keegan has, that's going to propel you and can propel you all the way to the championship. Now let's get Keegan out of the way. Let's talk about Caitlin Clark for a second here. because. She is the nation's leading scorer and leads the nation in assists. We've never had a player do that on the women's side. And I'm telling you guys, it's one dribble across midcourt, switch sides of the floor, pull up at the logo, Steph Curry-like, and it is the bottom of the net. It is the most fascinating thing to watch right now in our tournament. It really is. Yeah, she's bombing away from three. Uh, let's get into what you guys talked about last night. Westwood One did a, a bracket release. What was the, uh, I guess, what was the biggest problem that you had with the brackets? Was it a, a Duke as a two seed? Was it some of the teams that were left out? Um, I think, um, you know, I was surprised, like everyone else, the way to finish the season, some of the wins they had in their body of work, that they would be a three seed. But it makes you, you know, really believe that maybe. Saturday and Sunday didn't matter as much as we thought. Certainly Texas A&M is feeling that way this morning as well. Um, I, I thought that was probably the biggest surprise, but I'm really excited about um, I'm going to Milwaukee, and I've got some really great games. I've got the three-seed Purdue, and I've got the three-seed Wisconsin, and uh, I think those are both teams that have a path, uh, especially Purdue because of their size, the guard play of Jaden Ivey in the backcourt, and they've had some big game experience in the Big Ten. So uh, Matt Painter's been there before with this team. I think Jaden Ivey could be a difference maker. He has the ability to carry a team all the way. And you know guard play is so important right now. Yeah, what do you favor? You just said guard play is so important. Do you do you write off the, the teams that play the traditional 4-5? Purdue has two giant dudes, but they don't play them at the same time. Both guys average like 20 minutes a game. Yeah, I know. I don't write that off, and here's why. Because when you get to the postseason, the game shrinks. The court shrinks, uh, and you have less possession. So the efficiency with which you play with on the offensive end has to be really good. Your execution has to be good. Your shot-making ability has to be good. So when you've got quick athletic guards and there doesn't seem to be a crevice yet, they can get in that gap and they can make a play. That's um, That could be the difference in, in a team advancing and a team not advancing. Teams don't turn the ball over as much. There's not as many possessions. Transition game shrinks a little bit. So uh, I favor the guards in those situations. Not discounting the bigs, but the game has opened up so much that, you know, the, if you don't have a stretch four right now, it's, it's hard for you to, to be able to be efficient offensively because teams double those low block guys. Yeah, and if you have a four who can't defend a stretch four, then you're you're dead meat, especially when teams go super small and are playing like a 6'6". Six, six. Uh, at the four. All right, Texas and VTech. Uh, that's another one of the matchups. 
What do you think of this Texas season? We had Chris Beard here at UNLV for about two weeks. Still not happy about that whole thing. Um, he put together <laughs> he put together his team kind of the way he likes to, which is a lot of transfer portal, a lot of um, you know, and not in this case, JC. But he, he usually has a new team almost every year, and it like they had a good year, but I mean, a lot of people thought Texas was going to be a top five team. Well, he he does have ten guys that play ten minutes, yeah. and he did put you know a bunch of guys together. Um, they really haven't had a lot of postseason experience, so it's going to be really interesting to see. They're very good defensively. They certainly lock in. They're one of the top defensive teams in the country. Uh, they guard the three-point line. They don't give up many points. Uh, they shrink the game on purpose. And so um, Virginia Tech is one of the hottest teams. I mean, I had them in their last regular season game against Louisville, and they're like clockwork. I want to say almost like Metrodome-like. Mm. You know, they're just click, 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 click. It's really fun to watch. They move the ball. They've got four guys in their starting lineup that came from mid-majors for Mike Young. Two of them he coached at Wofford. Actually, three of them he coached at Wofford. And uh, I, I think they have, uh, you know, they've been playing like an NCAA team really since February 1st. Debbie Antonelli with us here. She's going to be on the men's tournament games uh, on TV. Uh, she was just doing some Westwood One. She'll be doing the uh, women's tournament as well once we get to the uh, Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. A couple of more of the men's matchups. Uh, I, I think it's a really weird spot. Let's uh, LSU and Iowa State. First of all, LSU, they just fired their coach. So, I mean, what sort of mindset do they have going into the tournament? Yeah, I think that's exactly it, and we'll assess that as soon as we see them in practice. I mean, I know they'll say the right things, but Kevin Nickelberry has had – some experience as a head coach. He'll be the interim head coach in the uh, wake of the firing of Will Wade. But I, I, I think they're going to show up and play. And the reason why I think that is because I think Kevin Nickelberry has done a great job, um, you know, building relationships with these guys. He's a big reason why a lot of them are there. And uh, I think they've uh, got a little chip on their shoulder to prove that, you know, they belong and they can win in advance. And, you know, they can score. That's the other thing. I mean, LSU can put the ball in the basket. Tari Eason is a very good player off the bench that gives them some explosion in their offensive game. So I think, uh, you know, yeah, there's a little bit of a dark cloud hanging over that program right now. However, I think now it's NCAA tournament and these kids don't, they don't care. They just want to play. So you talked about maybe the conference tournaments don't mean that much to the selection committee. I would assume conference play does. And, um, but I get confused. Like does the beginning of the season count the most? Cause frankly, Iowa state, I thought was a, an interesting selection. They're, I mean, they're 8-22 in 2022. Now, maybe we have a little extra grind. Again, T.J. Altsenberger, former UNLV coach. Um, what do you think of Iowa State being included? And not only being included, Debbie, but not in a play-in game. <laughs> uh, who knows what criteria the committee <laughs> values more than anything else. You know, it's kind of like this is the best way I can equate it to you guys. Like, you guys play golf because I'm a big golfer, okay. right? So if you have the general manager runs the club and the club president one year likes steak. So everything on the menu has to be catered to having steak on your, on your menu. The food and food and beverage guys like, okay, they got to change their whole menu. Right. <laughs> but the next year the club president comes in and he likes chicken. So now you got to change the whole menu to fit a chicken dominant menu. All right. So that's kind of the way I look at the NCAA selection committee. Sometimes we don't always know what is the top, top priority based on who the chair is. I think there's so many pieces of criteria that they look and evaluate. There's so many metrics out there. There's so many different bracketologists, right? I mean, you just got to win. You got to win. That's the most important thing. And then I can't answer uh, who, who and how and why they go about doing things on the men or the women's side. Yeah. 
Debbie, you talk about top seeds playing big games. Wisconsin's going to have its hands full. A dichotomy when you're talking about a defensive physical team like the Badgers, but Colgate, wow, started off rough, but they finished the season strong. A perimeter-type game, big offense. That last game you're calling Wisconsin-Colgate could be one that comes down to the end of Colgate catches fire. Well, first of all, Colgate has won 15 in a row and 19 of 20, right? So yeah. they played a tough non-conference D1 schedule above their Patriot League um, regular season. And then they put it together. Look, I've been on campus in Hamilton, New York. I've been on that campus to watch Matt Langle and his team win in the Patriot League a couple of years ago when they were going to the NCAA tournament. Um, they're good, but the problem for them will be the size of Wisconsin up front how deliberate Wisconsin is with their ability to to play with size. Greg Gard is so good at calling out mismatches. And then, quite frankly, Johnny Davis and Brad Davison are two of the best underrated backcourt. Well, certainly not Johnny, but Brad is a little bit underrated in what he brings and the value that he adds to the style of play that they play with. There's tremendous toughness about Wisconsin. And they're going to be playing basically pretty much close to a home game. So I think the crowd's going to be in their favor uh, I think uh, Colgate can hang with them for a little bit, but I definitely see Wisconsin with a path to really advance. So after this opening weekend uh, with CBS, you go back to women's basketball, right? And then you're going to be covering the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight. And I know Beth Mowens, I think, is uh, broadcasting alongside you. We know Beth from uh, doing all the Raiders stuff. So in the end, who who will be in the final for the women's tournament? Well, I think the biggest question in the women's tournament obviously has been NC State, who won the ACC regular season and the conference tournament and gets the one seed in Bridgeport with Connecticut, who only owns about 80 to 90% of the house already. So uh, that's a daunting challenge for anyone who would be a one seed being sent into that environment, uh, because I'm sure Vegas is going to favorite uh, UConn in that one as the two seed, not the one seed. And I think NC State... Um, it's got probably the biggest challenge to come out of their bracket uh, and go to the Final Four. I, I see South Carolina, Stanford, and Louisville winning, although I think Baylor will give Louisville a run for their money. Louisville's a very good defensive team. But I, I think the biggest um, question mark is going to be what kind of toughness NC State shows up with. That's something they've been challenged by all season. But they've, they've played well enough to earn a one seed Unfortunately, because geography plays a role in our game, they end up being the one seed in Bridgeport. Great spot. Thank you for doing it on short notice, and uh, hopefully we can get you back on before the women's Final Four in a couple of weeks, okay? Anytime, guys. Thank you, Stephen Willie. Appreciate it. There she is. Debbie Antonelli played at NC State uh, 30-plus years as a broadcaster. Sideline, she'll be doing uh, analyst work with Spiro Ditas in that Milwaukee bracket, so good job of breaking down those games, and uh, we talked about all the different storylines there. Um, I will say the Iowa State thing sticks in my craw, one, because Otts walked on UNLV, but two, they were 8-12 and 12 in 2022, and they get an 11 seed, and they're not playing in. Seriously? Seriously? Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large, or too small. Keep your Toyota. Running like a Toyota.